0: And I'm sharing some of my little fears today with you in the hopes that if you also shame and judge yourself for your own little fears, you feel liberated to treat yourself with kindness as you notice these little fears crop up. Like a fingerprint, your specific experience of fear, its magnitude, the things that trigger it, will be unique to you. And you should never think of your unique experience of fear as shameful or bad, but rather, you should revel in the mystery of your unique fear DNA. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica guzic And my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now onto the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. If you are new here, it is wonderful to have you. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jessica and I'm the host of this podcast. I've been hosting it for a while now. I'm a corporate strategist in the nine to five world and I also recently became a women's career coach and life coach, which has been really fun and really cool. And today is the season finale. And I kind of have a smile on my face, first of all, because it's just really exciting. And it's fun to get to the milestone of the end of a season. And I always use my season finale content as kind of a way to reflect on my own growth and where I've been growing throughout the season and hopefully a chance for you to reflect also. And I'm smiling too because I had a lot of trouble with today's episode. So I'm sharing an essay that I wrote. And I've shared a couple of essays now on the show, and usually I don't have that much troubles writing them. They just like pour right out of me. And today's essay is all about fear. And I really wanted to write about fear, but this was very challenging for me to write because Fear is such a big topic, it's so complicated, and as I was writing this essay, I started it a few months ago, and my relationship with fear was changing and deepening, and I was getting stronger and less afraid, and so every time I returned back to it, it just felt different, and it took me a while to tie it up and finish it and get it ready for this finale, but I'm so excited that I finally did, and I hope you enjoy it. And it's a little bit of a reflection on my journey with fear. And it really speaks to my experience of having a lot of really deep fears and anxieties about things at work, which you'll hear me talk about and feeling a little bit ashamed and a little bit like, why am I so broken? Why am I so weird? Why is this so hard for me? And I wanted to share that today because I think that It's really, really important, you know, when it comes to women's empowerment, especially for professional women. I think it's so tempting to just talk about, like, being strong and awesome and amazing. And, you know, when I was really struggling and during the times now when I struggle, you know, you need you also need to hear people being honest about what they are going through and what they're experiencing so that you know that you're not alone. And one of the reasons that I started this show was because I felt like there were so few women actually being honest about what was really hard and difficult. And I wanted to bring that conversation to the surface so that other women would feel less alone. And so these essays are really my way of opening up to you. Because for some reason when I'm writing, I can access something that I cannot access in the same way as when I'm speaking, and I have no idea why. But I like to use that to show you these parts of myself that hopefully make you feel less alone and help you see that you are strong and incredible and talented, even if you struggle with things. So I'm really excited to read this piece to you. I hope you love it. I would love to hear from you. And if you're new here, just make sure to check out the show notes because there's a bunch of free resources down there. There's a Facebook group and a free ebook and my newsletter, which I am sending out roughly once a week, trying as much as I can to get that out every week. And you can also learn more about working with me one-on-one if you are looking for a career coach or a life coach. I would love to connect with you. So check out the show notes for more information on that. And with that, I'm going to transition into the essay Oh boy, I spent a lot of time on this one. This was a hard one. I don't know why, but I'm glad that I finished it and I'm really excited to share it and I hope you enjoy it. This essay is called Things I'm Afraid of at Work. Here we go. I started this show because when I was in my career and dealing with fear, the advice I was given never seemed to work. I was advised to make lots and lots of changes on the outside, to speak differently, dress differently, cut my hair shorter, even. It felt like I was being advised to eliminate my fear by changing who I was on the outside, thereby crushing my fear into submission. Needless to say, this did not work. Fear is complicated, and making cosmetic changes wasn't really the answer, at least for me. I often think of fear as being like a Rubik's cube made of crystal, complex, delicate, but also unexpectedly beautiful. Just like a Rubik's cube, the answer to fear is not to throw it on the ground and destroy it, but to spend enough time with it to reshape it into something coherent and profound. When we're dealing with fear, we often feel compelled to rush towards a solution, forgetting that it's in that in-between space where all the goodness is. Like when you walk into a house or a kitchen and someone is smack in the middle of preparing a home-cooked meal. The smells are intoxicating. The energy in the kitchen feels warm and inviting. And yet you have no idea what's being prepared or what it is you're going to eat. All you have in those moments are the joys of the in-between sensations, the sneak previews, the smells, the tastes, the ability to imagine the pleasures of consuming the meal. And in that space, your imagination can run wild and you can experience the pleasure of anticipation despite an eager and growling stomach. When we are conquering fear, we want to spend time in the kitchen before we rush to eat the meal. We want to spend time puzzling together that beautiful Rubik's Cube before we choose to toss it on the floor and smash it to pieces. Think of it this way. Fear is like a piece of mail that's addressed to us, a handwritten letter, many pages long, and in it there is rich information for us to consume and learn about ourselves. Why rush to burn up or shred the letter when there is something for us waiting inside of it? Now let me reassure you that when I talk about fear and being afraid, I am not just talking about being afraid of the big things. Through this essay, I hope to give you unconditional permission to embrace what I like to call little fear. Little fear is just what it sounds like. It's the fear of little things. In my career over time, I noticed that I would sometimes feel deeply afraid of very little things things that no one else seemed afraid of, things I thought I quote unquote shouldn't be afraid of. I shamed and judged myself for these little fears. And of course, these little fears needed just the opposite. They needed gentleness, softness, understanding and compassion because they were so little. And I'm sharing some of my little fears today with you. In the hopes that if you also shame and judge yourself for your own little fears, you feel liberated to treat yourself with kindness as you notice these little fears crop up. And if you're anything like me, they come up often, which, yes, might mean that you feel like you're constantly being put through the ringer, having to do scary things day after day, multiple times a day. Why me, you might think. Why does everything feel so hard? But if fear is indeed a beautiful, multicolored diamond Rubik's cube that contains an important message, this means that little fear, fear that crops up every day, almost moment by moment, gives you so many opportunities to play around with that Rubik's cube, to get to know it, and to inch closer and closer to the glorious display of shimmer and shine that it will become once you've begun to line up the colors. You need time to be near your fear, to get to know it, before you can alchemize it into something glorious. And little fear, because it arises so often, gives you the opportunity time and time again to explore. And you are not alone in your little fear. I have too many little fears to count. At first, I resolved to write out my entire list of work-related little fears as part of this essay. Even if I only did the ones that relate to work, the list became totally unmanageable. Apparently I have an embarrassingly long list of little fears. So to make it manageable, I narrowed down my little fear list to only include little fears that occur within the confines of Microsoft Outlook. Yes, you heard me right. I have an entire list of little fears that revolve solely around emails and calendar invites. And I had to narrow down my fear list that much to ensure that this episode didn't end up being hours and hours long. So what you're getting is just the tiniest glimpse of the scared and dark recesses of my mind. I can assure you that this is only a tiny slice of the total pie, but we have to start somewhere. So without further ado, here is my list of Microsoft Outlook-related little fears. Microsoft Outlook-related little fear number one, giant email threads. Where do I begin with this one? The giant email thread is basically the virtual version of the giant meeting where everyone is staring at me. Footnote, see episode 67 for details on that experience. Now, let's first be clear on what I mean when I use the term giant email thread. I am talking about an email that has no less than a zillion people on it. I don't care if they're in the two line or the CC line. When we have a giant thread, this means that every time I speak up, I am all up in a lot of people's inboxes and that can feel like a wild and crazy amount of risk and visibility to a person who self-identifies as quirky, quiet, and sometimes shy. And I know that we are not all wired this way, There are people out there in the world who just speak and share without questioning. They don't worry about who is listening, or how many people are listening, or whether they should be speaking. They just open up their mouths and share. I am not one of those people. I worry about who is listening. I look at the field at the top of the email, oozing with email addresses and semicolons, and it puts me on edge. The stakes feel so high. Once I hit send, I feel like I'm throwing a grenade out into the world and ducking, covering, and hiding under my desk while I wait for it to explode. Unfortunately, giant email threads are not the only thing that makes me feel this level of unwanted exposure. And that brings us to my second fear. Microsoft Outlook-related fear number two, giant calendar invites. You might be thinking the giant calendar invites are pretty much the same as giant email threads, so why am I even talking about them? Well, you are wrong. Calendar invites have some key features that can make them even worse than emails, despite their deceptively innocuous nature. First, I'll address the elephant in the room. An email can't be declined. I try not to take things personally, and I know that this meeting isn't some kind of housewarming party or my bat mitzvah, but if I am being totally honest with you, I don't love it when my inbox floods with declines. I don't even love it when my inbox floods with tentatives. And when we're dealing with a giant calendar invite, you and I both know they are coming. And after I have pumped myself up to hit send on this monster... It just doesn't feel so good to get dinged multiple times, virtually instantaneously. I often wonder if people like declining because sometimes those declines come so quickly. And honestly, it confuses me. Who are these people and what are they doing all day that makes them available to decline my meeting literally the second after I send it off? So there's the first problem. But like a bad dream, there's more. There's also the pressure on the calendar invite to get everything right the first go around. Why? Because every time I update the room, or the time, or the dial in, everyone gets notified. And there I am once again, drawing unwanted attention to myself. And the bigger the invite, the more likely my updates will trigger scrutiny and questions and possibly even a fresh decline or two. Now you'd think that with all my fears and anxieties about mass calendar invites and emails, I'd have a strong preference for one-on-one exchanges, but that is not the case. Ironically, one-on-one outlook interactions can be just as bad or even sometimes worse than mass invites and emails. Which brings me to Microsoft Outlook-related little fear number three, scary emails. I've come a long way with this one, and I'm proud, but boy, did I struggle. We're now definitively out of the world of one-to-many and in the universe of one-to-one. I've experienced deep struggle sending out what I like to call scary emails scary emails come in many shapes and sizes and each person's definition of what constitutes a scary email might be different but here are some of mine scary emails include but are not limited to emails asking really cool people if they'll get coffee with me emails to someone i've never met before emails asking someone for something emails that contain an idea or suggestion that may or may not be correct emails containing constructive feedback or criticism Emails to very senior people, emails to very busy people, emails to very important people, emails to managers, emails explaining why the thing I was supposed to do hasn't happened or didn't work. I've had many an email that got typed up but never sent. So many drafts have disappeared into the ether of the internet, never to be received or read by their intended recipients because it was simply too scary for me to hit send. Perhaps you relate to some of my little fears, or perhaps I've outed myself as a total weirdo. Either way is fine, but what's most important here to note is that whatever size or type of fears you have, you are not broken. You can have little fears around little things, and that's normal. You can also experience big fear around quote-unquote little things, and that's normal too. There's no competition here for whose fear is the biggest, or the smallest, or the most quote-unquote appropriate for the circumstance. Like a fingerprint, your specific experience of fear, its magnitude, the things that trigger it, the way you experience it, will be unique to you. And you should never think of your unique experience of fear as shameful or bad, but rather, you should revel in the mystery of your unique fear DNA. Because if you allow yourself time to be in fear, to look at it, to face it, to experience it, without ceding to the impulse to find a quick fix or run away, you will uncover the most unexpected and delightful treasures. I used to be so eager to fix my fear, to make it go away, to build myself up so big and strong that I would never feel fear again. Silly me. I completely misunderstood the definition of what it means to be strong. Being strong requires fear. Just like you can't build physical strength without resistance, you can't build mental, emotional, or spiritual strength without resistance either. If you're looking to grow and develop as a person and as a leader then a thoughtful, strategic approach to getting to know your fears may actually be an essential step in your growth and development. This begs the question, how does one even get started facing and getting to know their fears? I'm not aware of any manuals entitled How to Face All of Your Weird Random Work Fears and Paranoias, and I am definitely not aware of any manuals entitled How to Face Your Microsoft Outlook-Related Little Work Fears. If there is one that I don't know about, please tell me about it. But since I haven't been able to find one, the next best option is for me to share my manual with you. You can use these ideas for big fear, but they work especially well with little fear. And it doesn't matter how random or unusual or bizarre your little fears are. I am writing this for my fellow weirdos, my fellow spazzy ladies who jumble their words and say weird, awkward half sentences that don't make sense and experience underarm sweating in situations where most people aren't even half afraid. There is plenty of advice out there for the naturally charismatic and confident ones. My advice is for women like me. A word of warning, and this is a warning that I admit I have a hard time listening to. This is a warning about patience, and let me tell you, as someone who has a lot of fear and not nearly the level of patience to match it, I have stumbled on this one many, many times. So I remind you, as I remind myself time and time again, that time is not a particularly useful metric when it comes to facing your fears. Time will never be on your side. So rather than get frustrated, why not just take time out of the equation by giving yourself an infinite amount of it? This is not a race, and in fact, in my opinion, the slowest person wins. Why, you ask? Because it is us tortoises who have the courage to stay in the race and keep going towards the finish line, even though we know it is going to take forever. It takes far more bravery to transform slowly to trust in the unfolding of one's process, to step back, to release control, and to believe that you will succeed no matter how long the timeline than it takes to race forward at lightning speed, believing that you will only be successful if you find some way to transform in an instant. Slowness is the way of the courageous ones, the true warriors. But of course, no matter how slow we go, we have to start somewhere. If you are looking for a place to start, I suggest you start with learning to spot fear. You would think that fear would be easy to spot. After all, the word fear elicits dramatic images of things like being chased by a bear or swimming with sharks. But interestingly, Fear is often sneakily camouflaged, like a little brown gecko on a hiking trail. If it stays still and keeps on the down low, you might pass by with zero awareness that it was even there. Fear uses many sneaky tools as its camouflage. There's the ever-present procrastination, of course, which often disguises the fear of failure or incompetence. Perfectionism is a favorite cousin. But interestingly... I've found that my own fear prefers a camouflage that is even more difficult to spot than procrastination or perfectionism. My fear likes to hide behind the most deceptive, the most well-hidden, the most smartly crafted lies that I have ever seen. It took me a while to spot these lies and uncover them for what they truly are. But once I did spot them, they became almost hilariously obvious. It's sort of like those Find the Hidden Pictures puzzles we used to do as kids. You'd see a drawing of a bunny or a house, and there would be a list of objects that were hidden somewhere inside the drawing. Where on earth is the wishbone, my little kid brain would think, frustrated. It was so maddening when you couldn't find that last remaining sneaky hidden object. But once you did find it, holy cow, it was so obvious. How did I not see the wishbone that entire time? It's literally on the bunny's stomach. My little kid mind was blown. Fear lies are exactly the same way. They are well hidden at first, but once you spot them, they become glaringly obvious. If you have no idea where to start when it comes to spotting your fear-based lies, start by looking at a situation that scares you. If you want to take a page out of my book and borrow one of mine, you can try looking at meetings, manager conversations, sharing your work, leading projects or groups, applying for jobs, interviewing for jobs, chatting with coworkers in the hallway, volunteering for big projects, sharing your voice in a room full of people. (laughs) The options are pretty much endless. Choose any scary situation and ask yourself a simple question. Why is it okay for me to avoid doing this thing? And watch your brain come up with the most well-disguised, logical-sounding rationalizations you have ever heard. Here are some of my favorites. I'm the most junior person in the room. It's probably not my role to do that. I'll look better if I stay quiet. I don't know enough about this to share anything. It's not a good idea to take that kind of risk. Nobody wants to hear from me. This isn't my meeting. This isn't my project. I'm probably not correct. This person is probably too busy for me. I might step on someone's toes if I do this. It's interesting, isn't it, how all of these reasons sound so convincing and wise and logical and reasonable. Have you ever watched Scooby-Doo? You know the scene that always happens at the end where they find the bad guy and pull off his mask to reveal who the true villain is? These excuses, these rationalizations that keep you small, are just masks. Underneath them is fear. Fear of being wrong, fear of messing up, fear of looking stupid. There is a tender place inside your heart that has perhaps been hurt before and doesn't want you to get hurt again. These rationalizations are the armor that protects you from the outside world poking and prodding at the parts of yourself That are most afraid to be seen. Only you can decide when these tender spots inside you are ready to release the armor and make themselves present and vulnerable for the world to look at. But what I'd want you to know is that it is never about the meeting or the email or whatever your mind has labeled as the quote unquote scary thing. No matter what the circumstances, the thing that you are often most afraid of is what the world will think of you in the aftermath of your courageous moment. You have to contend with the risk of others seeing you as silly, bad, or wrong. You have to contend with the idea that the world could choose to reject you or judge you, and no matter how amazing or skilled you are, this is a very difficult thing. I wish I could tell you that when you choose to face your fears and make your presence known at work— you won't ever be criticized or judged. But the sad truth is so many women do get judged in the aftermath of their acts of courage. I know it's happened to me. I've taken risks and tried to use my voice more at work, only to be told that I looked young and stupid and sounded too much like a valley girl for any respectable colleague to take me seriously. This feedback crushed me, and drove me to reject and tuck away the most authentic parts of myself. My bright, bubbly personality went from being the thing I loved most about myself to being a shame-ridden skeleton in my closet that I was desperate to hide away. In the aftermath of that painful feedback, I found myself on a quest to wipe myself clean of my own personality, thinking that this would help me feel brave and confident. But the more I did this, the worse I felt until eventually I realized that I was spending every ounce of my precious energy trying to scrub away parts of myself that were fossilized deep inside my soul. The professional world has many ideas of how you should be and how I should be, but lacks an understanding of the unique DNA that makes us magical and powerful as women. I wish I could tell you that the secret to your professional success was just to learn to embody that generic alpha masculine voice that we're told we need to become so that no one could ever label you bad or wrong. But I can't tell you to do that because I've tried that and I know for certain that it doesn't work, it's not sustainable, and it will have you drifting farther and farther away from your most deep-seated talents and powers and all of the gifts inside you that are really desperately needed by the world. So the unglamorous truth is that the path to shedding your fears and becoming bold and powerful is a path that contains rejection. And it requires you to take scary action knowing that someone might judge you as stupid or silly. I recognize the lack of appeal in this solution, but I will also point out that it was in this space of gut-wrenching fear of rejection where all of my own lasting strength has been cultivated. When I chose authenticity over approval from the masses, I felt a force like none I had ever felt before rise within me, and begin pumping vitality back into my heart and soul. The pieces of myself that I had previously tried to scrub away began to reawaken. And in that reawakening, I remembered what it feels like to feel happy, joyful, and empowered. And it was in that space that my voice got stronger and the terror of big meetings and scary conversations and mass emails and all of the things that caused my mind so much suffering began to melt away. Because as I went from feeling like a flimsy little tumbleweed blowing in the wind to a tree rooted firmly in the ground, I could feel that I didn't need anyone to help me or agree with me or like me. When I finally felt the feeling of having everything I could ever need already inside me, my fears began to dissipate and my voice finally started to grow stronger. And my voice didn't strengthen in that silly, over-glamorized, alpha-masculine way. It was a subtle reverberation that only I could hear that seemed to whisper beneath the words I was saying, I am okay. I am okay. I am okay. You only need one thing to tackle the fears in your career. And the thing you need is to learn to feel okay. Enough. Sufficient. You need to learn to feel this way even when you fail or mess up. You need to learn to feel this way when you're wrong or when someone doesn't like you. You even need to learn to feel this way when you disappoint yourself because it happens to all of us and it will happen to you at some point and you will be okay. You need to learn to override your default circuitry that tells you that you must hate yourself. You need to feel okay and sufficient with every stumble and every miss and every skeleton in your closet. And you need to feel okay even when someone tells you that who you are is not enough. The world doesn't yet know how to make women feel like enough. In fact, the world does a really good job making women feel not enough. We bear the burden of having to create this feeling of enoughness for ourselves. And while that is indeed unfortunate, the good news is we are resilient beyond measure and we are masters at tuning into our intuition and excavating the truth in any situation. And the truth about your situation and your fear and your struggle is that they are allowed to be present. And the moment you allow them to exist and you allow every problem and issue and imperfection to be there without it having to mean anything about your quality as a human being, is the moment you open yourself up to a career and life filled with more excitement and adventure than you could possibly imagine. Because you will know that you can stay loyal to yourself even when you sound stupid or screw up. And the best news of all is that giving yourself room to do those things will open you up to the most incredible displays of your own talents that you will ever witness. Your potential is limitless. Your choice to be okay with yourself and allow room for imperfection and failure starts now. If you turned off this podcast and made a promise to allow yourself to celebrate one failure each and every day without making it mean something bad about you, a year from now, you'd be unrecognizable. This is what I've been doing. I've been letting go of my graspy, type A, controlling perfectionism and practicing, letting myself just mess things up and it's been scary and fun and life-changing and delicious. It's like I've opened the floodgates to allow imperfection to pour through and now the gates are finally open wide enough to allow everything in. So the joy and playfulness and adventure has come galloping in and I feel so excited for what lies ahead and not at all concerned about some of the bad stuff that comes along with it because living this way with more capacity for imperfection and pain and self-compassion and joy and play and abundance feels so much better than what I was doing before. And I'm inviting you to come with me and accepting your invitation only requires an energetic yes, a brief little twinkle in your eye, an openness to giving yourself just a tiny bit more room to be messy and wild and imperfect. While I know that we all want to be polished and perfect and do really good work, the truth is, That our greatest genius will be born from a messy exploration of who we are when we let go of the need for everything to be 100% flawless and we allow the truest parts of ourselves to come forward and shine. We only get one go at this lifetime in this body with this identity and I believe we're being given an invitation to shatter the control that keeps us so small and learn what it feels like to be the biggest and fullest expression of ourselves. And perhaps most important of all, the world really needs it. I spent so many years feeling frustrated that I could barely find powerful female role models who were weird and strange and quirky and cool until I realized maybe I was supposed to be one. The thing I want you to know most is that you are supposed to be one too. And that can only happen when you are willing to embody everything you are and stop letting the fear of your own imperfection dictate how you show up and how you treat yourself during the moments when you feel afraid. Your fear has nothing on you. It is not a problem. It is a gift that you have received to teach you a profound lesson about what it means to love yourself and allow yourself to experience kindness as you move through the things that are challenging for you. And the most beautiful thing about all of this is that there is no way to do any of this wrong. There is only the choice to show up or not. And the more times you show up in self-love and determination and curiosity and openness, the more you will let go of the grip of fear and learn to shake it off gently, lovingly, with compassion whenever it comes in. Do this enough times and the truth will start to emerge as an electric feeling coursing through your body that feels empowering and exhilarating and sparkly and makes you see without a doubt that even when you feel fear, you can do anything. And that brings us to the end, the end of the episode, the end of season four. The end of a really hard year I hope that you enjoyed listening to this I I would love to hear what you thought so feel free to get in touch and it feels really good to be closing out the season I'm going to try to do some bonus content before I come back with season one which will be next year in 2021 probably January I will try my best um, not exactly sure so keep on the lookout for that but you can keep in touch with me in between. Um, you'll, you'll find everything in the show notes, the Facebook group, all of my contact information, everything that you need. And if you're interested in working with me, I'm actually at a huge place of transition in my life. So I've been mentioning this before, but I've been training to become a coach for women Planning on on opening officially next year because I'm still finishing my training. But while I finish my training, I'm coaching women, and they're all women who listen to the podcast um, on career stuff, on confidence, on finding their voice in meetings, on all of the things that I talk about in the show. And you can work with me anytime because, like I said, I'm gonna kind of be going fully more into this next year and I'll share more updates around that. But right now, while I'm in my training, I'm I'm doing coaching beta style which means you're a client while i'd finish my training and so you get to work with me for half off what my normal price will be which is like awesome it's such a steal and so if you are thinking about it i would say (laughs) sign up with me now before next year Um, it'll still be around but it's a much better deal right now as long as i still have spots to take people on i would love to support you Uh, You can check it out on the website, theartofspeakingup.com slash coaching. And I will also put a link in the show notes if you want to schedule a call with me. This is a free call. It is zero pressure. It is for you to figure out if you like my vibe and you want to work with me. So I will put both of those below. And I just want to thank you so much. You have all been so kind. And it's like when I started the show, (laughs) it was really scary for me to share things about myself. It felt really, really scary. And part of the reason that it's gotten a lot easier and I feel safer (laughs) sharing like all of my dark secrets with you is because you're all like you all have huge hearts and you're so empathetic and so kind. And I kind of just realized, you know, over the couple years of doing this show and getting to know you that we all. A lot of us have a lot in common. So whenever I connect with listeners of the show, it's always like I'm always so fascinated by them. I think they're so cool and brave and awesome. And you have all really made me feel seen with your feedback and it's helped me share more with you. And so that's just been really cool and magical and I want to thank you for that. And I'm glad that you're here and I hope you'll stick around for the next season and feel free to reach out anytime and have an amazing end of the year. And I would just encourage you to reflect on all the incredible things that you've done, I think it's really weird in our culture that, like, at the turn of the year, we like start focusing on all the ways in which we're inadequate and all the things we want to fix for the following year. Which is really interesting to think about how we don't really look back so much at like all of the things that happen. And when you think about a year and all the things that happen in a year, it can be pretty incredible because our brains really like to just like forget and dismiss, you know, all of these all this growth that we've had, all these things that we've. Done. And so I think it's really important for us to slow down and give that to ourselves before, like, focusing on all of the ways in which we're empty and broken and need to fix ourselves, you know, for the year ahead. And so I would encourage you to do that just take some time to really feel that because one of the the most important things for growth is to learn to recognize success to recognize it and celebrate it and that can be harder than you might think but once you start doing it it becomes really fun and special and it really helps you build confidence because you start to feel rewarded for your efforts and I always like to reward myself for trying something, not as much the result. So if I did something that was hard and scary for me, I celebrate doing that even if it didn't go well. And that's how I train myself to do it again and to you know, feel okay doing it again because I know that I'll have my own back, just like I wrote about in this essay. I know that it's not about being perfect. It's just about showing up. It's just about practicing kindness and being brave at the same time. And that truly is what I believe. So thank you so much for being here. You are so wonderful. I'm so grateful for this show and this incredible community of women. Please come say hi to me, reach out, and let me know how you're doing. And with that, I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.